Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 15. This is the word of God. Hear it. Wherefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all the church, or all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And may God add his blessings to the reading of His Word, and write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Have you ever had a need so great within your own heart and life that you asked someone to join you in praying about that specific need? I assume we all have. Have you ever heard of someone, maybe in this congregation or another, coming to faith in Christ, and you begin to pray for that individual and ask God to help them? What did you ask God to do in their life? Do you remember? We acknowledge that we need the prayers of others and that others need our prayers for them. So what is it that we desperately need? There are many things that the people of God claim that we're in need of today. We need this or we need that. Many times people would say we need a revival. We need this person to come back into political power or this party or that. We need this resource or that resource. What is it that we need? Paul writes the church in Ephesus and he writes about their greatest need. And included in their greatest need is our greatest need. When Paul heard of the faith the church at Ephesus had in Christ Jesus and the love that they had for all the saints. Paul did not pray for a political regime. He did not pray for social reform. He prayed that the church would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That was their greatest need and that is our greatest need as well. You and I need to behold Christ in His glory. Paul prays to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of glory, that He may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He prays for wisdom that we would apply what we know of Christ. He prays for 
a spirit of revelation that we would grow in our knowledge of Christ. And he prays that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see more and more of Christ. If you grow weary of seeing Christ, what you're in need of is seeing more of Christ. If Christ does not cause your spirit to be lifted in wonder, love, and praise, what you need to behold is more of Christ. You need to see Him again, and you need to see Him in this manner with a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that your heart would rejoice in Him. Paul's prayer for wisdom to apply the knowledge of Christ that the Ephesians have received through the gospel is for also that they would have a deeper understanding of Christ in the gospel, that they would have more light of Christ given to them through the preached word and through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are likely all familiar with the gospel this morning, but we need to hear it and to see it afresh. We need to understand it anew. We need to go beyond where we've been to see Christ in all of His splendor and glory. And although we see Him and we think, my goodness, I've seen all of Him that there is to see, the truth is and the reality is tonight or this morning that when we spend forever in heaven, if we could measure eternity after 10 million years, we will have only scratched the surface of His great power and glory and beauty and worth because He's infinite. Though we will dwell with Him and we will be sinless, we will be perfectly righteous, we will be holy, we will not be God, we will not be omniscient. And so we will learn of Him while the ages roll and we spend time with Him and one another, we will see Him in greater degrees of His glory and worth and majesty. Francis Folks writes that this wisdom and revelation comes not simply as higher intelligence given by God. That's not what Paul is praying for. He's not praying for smart little saints. He's praying that they would have a knowledge of Christ, a personal knowledge. The Bible always, he writes, connotes that this knowledge is the experience of life in union and fellowship with Him. Oh, how we need to be taught the knowledge of Christ by God the Father. What did Paul pray for himself? What did he express in Philippians that was his chief desire? After all of his life and all of his ministry and experiences, he writes and says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul never got beyond the cross. And he never went beyond the Lord Jesus Christ. There are too many people today who view Christ is just the entryway into the Christian life. 
that the gospel merely sets you on the road to heaven, then the real living begins. No, Christ and the gospel are the Christian life. From start to finish, it is all about the Lord Jesus. Well, that Paul prayed this reminds us that the power of growing in spiritual knowledge is dependent upon God alone to reveal this truth to us. It is not within our power to get. We do not make ourselves understand more of Jesus or His Word. This has been the prayer of believers throughout the history of God's people. In Ezra chapter 9, verse number 8, it says, But now, for a, a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant, to give us a peg in His holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes. Psalms 13.3 Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. This is the prayer of God's people that God would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding so that we might know Him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that if our gospel is hidden, if it's veiled, it's hidden from those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When we were lost in our sinfulness and our depravity and our deadness, as he says in chapter 2 of, of this epistle, it was God who came to us. It was God who commanded the light to turn on in our hearts that the glory of God in Christ Jesus that has shone for all eternity would shine in your dark heart and bring life to your dead spirit and bring salvation to your soul. It was God who did that. And yet it is the God that did that that we need to continue doing that in order for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Unless the Father commands the light to shine in the hearts of sinners, they will remain in darkness. But darkness still remains in the heart of even those who believe. And unless the Father shines the light in a greater degree, we will remain in that darkness. We will have only the light that He has given and we will experience and enjoy only the light that He gives. We will never see Him in any more light or any greater degree and we will not grow in our understanding unless the Holy Spirit teaches us. We can hear the most capable men teach and preach the Word of God and we should. 
But unless the Holy Spirit applies the truth that is being taught of Jesus Christ, we will never grow and we'll never learn. He must be our teacher. This shows the great power that we are dependent upon to grow in grace. When we think of growth in grace, for whatever reason, we always seem to look inwardly and think that we have to produce it in our own power and in our own strength. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. I know better than this. That's, I, I suppose, good that we are aware of that. But friends, it's not within ourselves that we will find the strength to grow beyond where we are. If we realize our spiritual condition that we need to grow, then we must become dependent upon the Lord, that He would turn the light on, that He would shine it in our hearts into a greater degree, that we might behold Christ with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This prayer shows us the power that is required for growth in spiritual knowledge. But it also shows us the priority of growing in spiritual knowledge. When it comes to the most important things in the Christian life, what do you think those are? Or what do you think the most important thing is in the Christian life? How do you think growth happens? Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. He didn't pray that they'd dig deeper. He didn't pray that they would try harder or that they would somehow improve themselves by the help of man's wisdom. But he prayed that God would increase their spiritual knowledge that they would grow in their understanding of who Christ was in His person, in His work, and who He is for them. Thomas Goodwin, the great Puritan, said that spiritual knowledge is the great, the main thing in the working of grace or in the increasing of grace. He said that when Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, he did not say a word about their holiness. Because holiness is a fruit. Christ is always the root. Paul knew that if they saw the light, the fruit would abound. He said so in chapter 5. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The main thing in the spiritual life of the believer, the great thing is to behold Christ more and more, greater and greater, deeper and deeper. It is all about 
Jesus. And Paul knew that and Paul prayed that the church would grow in their understanding of Christ. And it is only as we grow in our understanding of Christ that we will grow in true holiness and obedience. We can conform to outward standards. But if it's not in response to the knowledge of Christ, it's mere legalism. We can be moral people. We can refrain from doing certain things. And we can perform certain duties. But if it's not in the light of the knowledge of Christ, it's simply external. And it's not true holiness it's certainly not worship holiness is always a fruit and knowledge is always the root sanctification is not the effect of you trying to be better it is not the result of you trying harder sanctification is the transformation that occurs while you are beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, you are transformed. Paul says so in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What causes spiritual transformation is beholding Christ in all of His glory. As we behold Him, the Spirit is doing a deep, deep work of changing you from the image of Adam into the image of Christ. We seek to attack sin by attacking the habit or attacking the act. Paul says the way that you will be transformed spiritually into the image of Christ, the way that you will put your sin to death is by beholding Christ. And the Spirit will transform you. And the obedience that ensues is simply you living the life in light of the glory and knowledge of Christ. This causes us to ask ourselves, what priority do you place in beholding the glory of God in your life? What is it that you're seeking in the Christian life? What is it? I mean, I'm I'm thrilled that you're here this morning, but why are you here? We need to ask ourselves that question and answer that biblically. Why are we here? Someone told me just the other day that they, that they went to church because they, they were supposed to. I'm, like I said, I'm glad you're here, but that's not enough. How desperately are you, church, how desperately are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to your heart? Not just once, but over and over again in your daily walk with Him. What is it that you're seeking in the Christian life? Are you seeking more joy, more peace, more contentment? All of those are good things. But they're not the greatest thing. Those are results. Those are effects of knowing Christ. But we can become so preoccupied 
by pursuing good things that we're distracted from and lose sight of the great thing, which is Christ himself. John would later write a letter to this church and inform them that they had left their first love. That's amazing. After you see what Paul has written to these people, and and we don't know what all transpired from generation to generation, but one thing I know this morning is that if you want to leave your first love for Christ, all you have to do is become distracted by good things and lose sight of Him, and you will grow cold on Christ. You can be morally clean. If you are not living in the light of Christ's glory, you're not walking in holiness. You can be theologically precise, but if that theology does not cause our heart to be lost in wonder, love, and praise, we are not growing in grace. If the knowledge that we're we're gaining does not produce humility, thankfulness, and worship in our hearts to Christ our Savior, then we, it is not had its proper effect upon us. What we need most desperately is for God to reveal His Son to us in greater measures, in greater light, so that we perceive His glory, His splendor, His worth, His value. Is your heart amazed by Him and His grace this morning? Maybe it used to be. See, I know I... Out to do what do I do, preacher? You need to gaze upon the Lord Jesus, crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and returning for you. And as you gaze, the Spirit will transform your heart, and you will be like Christ. I'm afraid that many times we spend our lives seeking the effects that are had from Christ instead of seeking Christ Himself. Seek Him. Seek Christ. Above all, results will come. Fruit will be born. Transformation will occur. But Christ must be preeminent. And He must be all in all. Paul prays that we would have this knowledge and this understanding of Christ, having our eyes of our understanding enlightened so that you would know the hope of His calling. Paul wants the church to see Christ so that they will be assured of their redemption, that they will know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And that they will know the greatness of the power that is at work to usward, verse 19. That power that is at work within us and at work toward us who believe is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And that power that is at work in us is working to transform us into the image of this glorious Christ so that we may bear His resemblance, that we may share in His love, 
His kindness, His gentleness, that we may worship Him. That's the hope of His calling, that we would be like Him. John says it in 1 John 3. When we see Him, we will be made like Him. For we will see Him as He is. He says that every man who has this hope within himself purifies himself, even as he is pure. Paul wants us to know this hope and the riches of the glory of his inheritance. This great wealth, this treasure of righteousness, this storehouse of love abides in the saints. It's also good when who said this, that Christ's glory arises out of ours. What he meant by that was that his, he is glorified in our redemption. As God redeems his church, removing the sin, removing our shame, removing our wickedness, clothing us with righteousness, holiness, making us stand before Him without spot or blemish, but to stand in His presence blamelessly, without fault, without anything to accuse us of in His presence. He is glorified. He is going to present us to the Father in all of His own splendor and glory because He is the one who clothes us with His righteousness. And when we stand there, clothed in His righteousness, He will be glorified. He will be praised. Bless His name. God is glorified in the salvation of sinners. Cleansing us of sin and robing us with Christ. Oh, that we would put upon Christ. That is true holiness and true sanctification. May God teach us to seek Him. May He give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That as we see Him, we might be assured of the hope of His calling. Are you aware of your sinfulness this morning? Are you aware of your shortcomings? Paul prayed that as you gaze upon Christ, the Holy Spirit would press home to your heart that it will not always be this way. That one day, you will be like Him. Sin will be gone. Temptation eradicated. The struggle ceased and you will be like him and you will spend eternity gazing upon this glorious lamb who has died for your sin risen for your redemption and justification and as you see him more and more in that glory you will worship him forever and ever let's pray Father, we thank you this day for your amazing grace that has been poured out upon the hearts 
of sinners. Rebels. Who have sinned against a good and loving God. We have sinned in the face of knowledge. And yet you lavish us with your grace. And you pour out your love in our hearts. And you forgive us. And you robe us with your own righteousness. That you have fulfilled in our place. And I pray today that you would allow us to behold Christ for us. In in greater measures. That as we behold you in your splendor and beauty. Your sweet Holy Spirit would change us from one degree of glory to another and that we would bear the image of Christ. For you are glorified in this, dear Lord, and you are worthy to be praised. And so glorify your name by glorifying your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.